to the No-Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Yetter Farm Equipment. I'm Michaela Pauchner, Managing Editor at No-Till Farmer. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Dan Forge, the 2022 No-Till Innovator Award winner in the crop production category. Here's Dan talking about the 10,000-acre South Dakota operation he manages, why crop diversification is so important, and why he has a passion for soil. Uh, my name is Dan Forge, and I'm in uh, Central South Dakota, Gettysburg, the low rainfall environment, uh, average 18 inches. And and uh, uh, I've been with Cronin Farms for uh, 53 years, and and we uh, we tilled for half of that 26 years, and we we started no tilling, and and uh, the uh, basically right now I was the farm manager, and then the, the, now I'm basically uh, and the agronomy manager, and now I'm uh, kind of semi-retired, and I take care of the agronomy work on the farm, which I just love to work with the soil. But anyway, uh, that's kind of a story. We're very diversified, and and uh, but we're really a big believer in soil health. You know, we have 640 acres irrigated out of the, out of the 10,000 acres, and uh, the uh, and then we have 80 a little over 8,000 acres of native prairie along the Missouri River breaks. You can see some of that in the background. That's our pivot in the background. And you, and we irrigate out of the Wahi Reservoir, which is a tremendously big reservoir. And so, uh, uh, but uh, irrigation is fairly small, but uh, uh, we do that just uh, uh, harder than you lift. And so the cost is, it doesn't cost a lot to, it costs, but not near as much as if you had a lot of lift to get the water to your pivots. But it, uh, the, when we were, when we were first started irrigating, we weren't no-tilling. And there was no question. We said, that's how we're going to be guaranteed. We've got a feed for our cattle in the wintertime is by irrigating because we didn't think we could grow a crop. And, uh, and we were we were black fallow. We followed a we followed a fourth of our ground. So what I'm saying is we kept it black all year long, and because we were trying to conserve moisture, we had no idea what we were doing. And that's what I'm getting back to this deal with between the the Dwayne Beck, the no-till, the the soil health, the water infiltration, you're breaking the plow the plow layer. That's all such a a uh, tremendous part in our in our journey in soil health and, and uh, where we are today. What type of livestock do you guys have now and how many? Okay, they, uh, they've got 850 head of uh, mother cows. And uh, so, uh, and then they'll, they'll background them calves. So what they'll do is they'll wean them and then they'll feed them up a little bit, then they'll sell them, but they'll always wean them, you know, and then, and then feed them some and then sell them in like two months after they're weaned. But, you know, kind of the one thing and we're working hard on, and I did a lot of research on it, or did, we've done a lot, of, is, a, is a, a grazing cover crops in the wintertime. And uh, I've got a really good study I'll talk about in my presentation about uh, where we had this one field and we just took it and put cover crop and then we grazed it in paddocks and how the, the every every variety in our mix is what I had it there, the purpose I had either mycorrhizae friendly uh, a plant or, you know, like, uh, like uh, enhanced phosphorus uptake or whatever. And I had all that done. And then we went right through to where, to the very end to show you how much uh, you, we could save over, over uh, feeding through the wagon. And, uh, you know, we found out one thing is, is, uh, 
the cows will come to the farmland and the, well, they're just coming about right now. And then, so then you have to kind of be prepared because we don't want to overgraze. I mean, that's just like on our farmland. You know, I say we, we need to leave at least a third of our residue on our cover crops. And so on our farm ground, we don't want, we don't let the cows overgraze. And I think that's really important, especially in our delicate situation with our moisture. Yeah, it's a little different when you get 25 inches, but uh, so the cattle, they, they are complement because you look at it this way. I mean, uh, you use the cover crop and, and the cover crop will bring up the nitrogen where if you're in a high rainfall environment, that's good because it doesn't run into the drain tile. Your nitrogen is, uh, it comes up on top. But like for us where we don't get wet enough to leach out, I mean, it's just so it's in that cover. Uh, say you got 30 units in in the ground and then the cover takes it up and you only got like five units in and the rest is in the cover. How do you get that back? Well, if you let the cows eat it, then the, the cattle, they'll, they'll uh, take the cattle will use 20% and they'll give back 80 in, in manure and urine. And I just think that there's really a, there's really a benefit to running cattle on the soil. And we're really, but within our environment with caution, because I'd get back that overgraze, you really have to wash that overgraze. How did you first get connected with uh, Cronin Farms? You know, uh, I'm on the fourth generation on the farm. And, uh, you know, the uh, I was raised not too far from there. And, and Dan, that would be, uh, well, Dan's the second generation. He hired me and I just went to work there. And we raised a lot of pigs. We raised pigs on pasture. So what you do is you just have these little A huts. And I don't know if you've seen them where they actually, you pig out on grass and these, these pigs are raised out in these little huts, just little shelters. And that, so we, we raised a lot of pigs and then we came through and, we were so busy working and, and then all of a sudden this, we had a, a drought and then the interest rates were high and and then uh, Dan and then Monty, the third generation farmer was taken over and, and we just, everybody just decided it was time to, we had to try something. And uh, and that was a big step in the no-till, you know, because, and, and I don't mean, I've said this before, but, you know, you stop and think where you don't have anybody or anything written in the, uh, it was pretty vague about what was going on with no-till. And uh, now 95 to 98% of our land in our in this mid-corridor of South Dakota is, is no-till. And that's a lot of that's from Dr. Dwayne Beck. Wow. So what are you all growing out there with such a diversified operation? You know, we, we're kind of switching up a little bit. It used to be we'd have like 10 or 11 crops and that really got complicated and, and it was, uh, we found it was a little more than what we could handle. Usually what we try to do is when we raise a crop, we try to have it sold before we, we plant it and uh, that worked very well. So we'd have uh, spring wheat, winter wheat, sunflower, soybeans, corn, and then we've had flax, we've had uh, barley, we've had forage wheat, we've had uh, lentils, we've had field peas. And so we're very diversified and. And uh, that's kind of our, the way we're doing it is our diversification is a big driver in our soil health. Uh, and then we also with it on that rotation we have is, is we also help with our weed control. And then, and then that's a big part of the, 
then we'll put our, our cover crops in on part of our rotation. So cover crops will be a rotation for us, uh, usually behind winter wheat stubble. And then, so thinking back to when you first switched over to no-till, what was driving your decision to try it out? You know, the, the our biggest driving factor was Dwayne Beck. I mean, and and uh, he's the one that got us started. He, he got his PhD working on our, our pivots down at the river. And, uh, but uh, the main thing is that you got to remember we were in the eighties and the eighties, a lot of interest and, and uh, we weren't, uh, we just had to figure, we had, had to find out a different way to do things. And so uh, we were the second person in the county, Ralph Holsworth was the first, we were the second person in the county to go to no-till. And, uh, but you got to remember back then there wasn't, wasn't any of these conferences or anybody you could go talk to. It was, you were on your own and, uh, you know, and then the more you learned, uh, the better you got. And, and, uh, and that's one reason why I really strive anybody that wants help with the soil health, no-till or whatever, if I can, I'll help them because I, the struggle we went through, if I can make it easier for somebody else on their journey with soil health, I, I'll, I'll sure help them. Definitely. So what are some of the things that you're doing now um, or maybe in the past couple of years before you retired to help people in your area get a handle on adopting no-till in these diversified rotations? Spend a lot of time on the phone, taking phone calls. And then, and then I, I, I speak quite a bit. I, the, or the, the uh, South Dakota Soil Health Coalition annual conference, I speak at the Soil Health School. Uh, I'll speak in a few places around the state, and then and then I'm also go out of state once in a while to speak. And basically, basically it is it's just a journey. And and uh, as I said before, if uh, there's mistakes to be made, and if I can help people not make that mistake, and then one of my big uh, goals is is to get people to where uh, you're not going to do this overnight. It's going to take a few years to get. It's not like you're going to do this in one year. And, and take small steps, take small steps, because uh, uh, just try things. And then if it works, try a little bit more the next year, but just do it in small steps. That's good advice. Uh, what do you think is step number one for most people? You know, I think if step number one is uh, is the diversity, uh, I, th- I really think you need a, a more of a crop rotation. And I know I'm going to step on a lot of people's toes by saying that corn and beans is not really a rotation. Uh, but I think you need to get a small grain either. I like what they're doing in the East cereal rye. We can't plant cereal rye on our farm because we're winter wheat producers. We raise winter wheat seed. Uh, but I, I really think the, uh, the, the no-till and the diversified, if you're not no-till and you get diversified in your rotation, and then you start to no-till because Either one or the other first, because I think no-till is, you're just not disturbing the surface. I mean, you, uh, and you, you, your water infiltration, your aggregation, you increase organic matter. And and uh, we no-till our, on our pivots at the river. They've been like everything else for 26 years. And and uh, it's just really a, uh, but between no-till and, and diversified rotation, it's kind of a toss up if I was going to, if I was in the east in the corn belt and, and someone that just said I'm not going to no-till, I'd really, I'd really try to have them focus on diversification. What do you say to farmers who say, well, it's too cold here for cover crops or cereal rye or it won't work here? What what's your response to that? 
you know, on, if people if people are negative on cover crops, I mean, the best thing you can do is is uh, find somebody close to them that's trying cover crops, so I can actually go out and visualize what's happening, uh, because I can sit here. 400 miles away, 500 miles away, 700 miles away. And I can say, boy, you got to do this. And then they try and they say, well, it didn't work. But there's people, there's organizations uh, that can that can show you what's happening with this cover crop and the, what it's doing to the soil health and different cover crops you can plant. So I really advise them to take uh, advantage of that. I mean, find somebody close because there's always a little gem in there that you can find a producer that's doing the right thing and just... Uh, and that's what I would recommend. Good ideas. It always helps to actually see something working versus just hearing like, oh, this will work, but then not knowing, yeah. well, will it on my land where I am? Yeah. You know, I really, uh, the, the, we get back to the cereal rye, and I really think that's a, 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 a good fit in the Corn Belt because, you know, you're getting in there, you're getting something growing right away, you're you're keeping that excess nitrogen towards the surface. You're you're getting the. I love rye. It's got a, a very fine root mass, just a tremendous root mass. And and uh, but it's just that I just wish we could grow it out here. But it's just uh, uh, with like as I said, it's seed wheat. You cannot. Um, why can't you with seed wheat? Because uh, if you have any rye at all, and you're wondering wheat seed, it's it's uh, completely uh, rejected a seed and then another thing is once you get rye you have rye where in the corn bean or in the east that's no big deal but like with us where we have wheat in a rotation you have rye then you get the rye will stay on the in the soil and then they'll even the seeds will even come up a couple of years later so the main reason is it just seed production with wheat I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment. Yetter is your answer for success in the face of ever-changing production agriculture challenges. Yetter offers a full lineup of planter attachments designed to perform in varying planting conditions. Yetter products maximize your inputs, save you time, and deliver return on your investment. Visit them at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. And now back to my conversation with Dan Forge. Your the nomination form for you for this innovator award. It said your mission is to take care of the land. So talking about taking care of the land and soil health, why? Why is that such a big driver for you and motivator throughout your career? You know, the I always think that, you know, I always want to say this is we're farming for the future. And so like with me, there's not there's not a lot of future left. I hope there's quite a bit of future left, but you look at the younger generation. So let's get them started off right with to stop the the soil from blowing, to get a, a more a bringing in more carbon, quit releasing carbon. Uh, with the tillage. Uh, and so it's just uh, the main thing is, is just to make it a better world. And uh, what I've seen what's happened on our farm, especially in the last 26 years. So if I could get somebody else and I've helped quite a few, I'm not trying to boast, but I've helped quite a few people on that road. And if I can keep on doing that, uh, that's, that's, that's my goal. That's my goal. That's a great goal. 
Um, talking about how the land has changed over the 26 years since you adopted no-till, when did you start to see those changes in terms of like how many years and then what were the changes that you were seeing? You know, in the first five years, uh, you could see changes. Our main focus then on was it was taking less diesel fuel and, and, uh, and we didn't really understand what we were doing. We, didn't un we understood what we were doing, but not really. And then the second 10 years, it got better because things started happening. I mean, uh, we started getting a little better weed control and, and uh, uh, we were growing better crops. And we could not believe that we couldn't grow it on, on, uh, on uh, a crop every year. Because like I said, every fourth year, we had uh, our land laid idle and, and black fallow. And uh, there's a lot of places in the United States that are still farming that way. And then, so then we came on and then, uh, and then uh, things really started kind of ramping up for us after that, the, up to 15 years. But then from 20 years on, it's just unreal how the soil's treating us. I mean, it's something that it's hard to explain. You can't, you always say, uh, uh, you get done with something and you get done with the crop and you'll say, I can't believe that, uh, that we got that with no more rain and whatever we did. And what it is, the soil's paying you, paying you back. I mean, the, and then uh, one other thing that's really happening to us is our, is we're cutting back on fertility. Uh, like our, our nitrogen rates uh, are, have dropped significantly, our phosphorus rates have dropped significantly. And what we found out with a lot of tests, side-by-side uh, uh, -side tests that we're, we're actually, uh, it, when we fertilize too much, we're actually losing yield. Because I really take it, you know, and I, I'm not a scientist. It's just what I'm observing, whatever. But what I, the way I look at it is what's happening is, is uh, we're not letting the soil work for itself. What we're doing is we're just overloading it with the, we're putting the soil on welfare by putting too much nitrogen down. So you want to, I'm not saying we, we're going to need, the way I look at it, we need nitrogen, but we can, we really put too much fertilizer on. So I think when you give it some, fertilizer and then let the soil do the rest. I think everybody's happy, but we found out uh, on four or five different uh, uh, yield studies with uh, SDSU, South Dakota State University and, and the NRCS, Jason Miller and RCS, that we're actually, by increasing nitrogen, we'll, we'll be losing yield. And I think it's just that we're making the soil lazy. I mean, it's just the uh, uh, the soil wants to work. The soil wants to do anything. So any way you can do to uh, put green out there to, uh, you know, bring in carbon to, to make, help the soil do what it wants to do, the better off you're going to be. That's really interesting with those studies. Um, what, how often were they looking at that? Kind of what did the study look like? And then how are you testing on the farm to see what your rates are? You know the the right the, how them studies were set up and and uh, uh, one of them was a five year study and we've had uh, two two year studies uh, but so how they had set up is they put different nitrogen rates out and it and then apply them in different ways of applying them and so the uh, and all they do is that you know like the college here calls for one point two nitrogen per uh, a, a bushel of corn which is is uh, was I feel is too high, but so then they'd they'd do something. They'd take it from no nitrogen, zero nitrogen, and then they'd go up. They'd go zero nitrogen, and then maybe use eight tenths of a pound of N per bushel, and then go to one pound per bushel, and then go to one point two, and 
just bought all the time on our place. Now this is a long-term no-till, all the time on our place that uh, we had a negative effect when when you, uh, it, it wasn't a lot, but it'd be five or six bushel. When you had too much in, you'd have a negative effect. Interesting. So you're losing money not only on the yield, but then also on what you spent on that input. So it's like ding twice. You know, and then uh, one other thing I'd like to add is that we have uh, uh, been soil sampling for 25 years. We do our own, and uh, every acre gets soil sampled every year. And uh, we, we've got our, a software where we zone sample. So we'll, we'll set up zones in the field. So because I really feel that not every part of the field needs fertilized the same. Uh, sometimes you're over-fertilizing something, and I think that's really a negative effect. And then uh, one thing I think that we need to work on more, and, and with that zone, I think on some of this ground where you can, uh, with your cover crops, you could bear more at your cover crops. You could put, we've got a capable of a three tank cart and you could uh, you could do three different products in a field by like, if it's a salinity or if it's over the top of a, a knoll where it's uh, you're, uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of residue, you could put a high carbon. I just think that's, that's a step we need to take as a farm. But, it, you know, there's always, with me, there's always something I want to do. So you see the next step for the management of Cronin Farms is incorporating more of the variable rate. Uh, Correct. You know, for, because we're variable rate in every acre, but I variable rate cover crop. But, you know, one thing, too, is we really focus on the high residue. Like our, our cropping rotation and, um, is 75% high residue crops. So we're in a drier environment, so we've got to have a soil armor to stop the evaporation to keep the soil cooler. And so that's what that's our that's our whole goal of this thing is to, and that's why we're pulling off some of these yields we are is with lack of moisture because we're stopping the evaporation. We're stopping the evaporation by having soil uh, um, either when we stubble corn, whatever. That's why we really focus on we need a, a high residue so when you're thinking about um managing such a diverse rotation what are the things you need to consider to be successful at that you know for one thing like with us is you always have a market you don't ever plant something and then say well what am i going to do with it and then another thing is is the is the the the, the past chemical you use but uh the one thing, you know, and it might be wrong and it's not wrong. It's just my, the way I do things is, is you go through there and you find a, uh, uh, if you have a weed, if you have a, a weed, instead of just attacking it, go and find the chemical, they'll take it out. You say, well, how can I, how can I help this with, a with, a uh, rotation? How can I put a crop in there that'll help that? So when I say we don't have a set rotation, I really watch what we rotate. I really don't, I don't, uh, there's, uh, because uh, I'll change something. If you've got a, if you've got a downy brome or a, a cheatgrass, then I'll try to rotate out of it. I'll put a, a field pea or something in there to take care of that grass instead of going to the, the, the shed and get a chemical to do it. So that is a very innovative approach to managing weeds. And one, I mean, I, we're hearing so much about the weed pressure that's coming in 2023. So I think that's something that other farmers could definitely learn from. You know, and then when you put a, 
when you put a cereal grain in your in your rotation, you just think about it. I mean, you're doing a whole different type of chemical program. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, so you're getting a lot of chemicals that you don't use in the corn bean rotation in there. So that really helps as far as the, uh, like the water hemp and what, you know, but uh, I just, uh, as far as rotations, I just think that, and plant different crops. I mean, I'm a believer at it. I know that, you know, and I'm not saying that what we do, you can do where they get 35 inches of rain either. But I just think all I'm trying to say is I think that people have to look over the situation and say, how am I going to handle this? And how can I do this? I mean, instead of trying to fix the problem uh, after you've got it, try to figure out what causing the problem. And that's kind of the way I go about things. So when you're looking at, like, say you're scouting, you find a particular weed that's a problem. When are you making those decisions about how you're going to rotate to solve that problem with the weed? That goes on. I think about that all the time. And so we'll see how how far it goes, what we do, how bad is it? And so like it, uh, a lot of times I'm a year or two ahead on the rotations, uh, but it's uh, it's not just a, Oh, I think we should. You see what I mean? So there's a lot of thought, a lot of time. And then another thing I want to emphasize, and I, I said it about four times now, is is uh, uh, this is what's working on our farm. And will it work on someone else's farm? I don't know if it will, but will is there some of these things they should be looking at? But the main thing is, is to have them look to see what's, uh, what's happening. And that's... Uh, What's happened on their farm? How can I change things up? And and uh, I think that'll take them a long ways if they start doing that. Yeah, for sure. And I think, like you said, with that study that you did, you were using recommended best practice, which turned out not to be the best for you and how you really need to tailor those suggestions to what you're dealing with specifically. You know, and then one other thing too, is you never want to, sit back and say, well, I've got it made. I'm at the top of the hill. I'm done. I've done everything. You always have to keep uh, trying different things and keep uh, alert on what you're doing because uh, there's, we're in, we're such in a changing world. And then uh, one other thing I'd really like to emphasize on is, is if you think you, if you don't think you're, if you think you're too old or know too much to learn, you're in trouble. I mean, you're really in trouble. So you always have to be open to, uh, and I, I really like to hang around good people. Like we had a, a our soil health conference in Sioux Falls. I mean, uh, Don Rakowski and Dr. Ray Ward and Dr. Dwayne Beck and, you know, uh, all them guys are just so, I mean, anytime I can be around people like that, you know, that's, that's where I want to be because them are the guys If you know, they might not have all the answers, but they'll, they'll sure get you thinking and let you figure out what you're supposed to do. It's one thing I want to, you know, I'll just say is, you know, the generations we got now, they're, they have, they never went through all that growing pain. The, the, the kids that are, I should, I'm going to call them kids or, you know, 35, 40 years old, but you know, a lot of them, they don't know where this came from. And so they just think this is normal. And uh, I think that's where I'm gifted, uh, not gifted. That's the wrong word where uh, I really feel that, uh, I've learned by the the hard knocks where I've learned from mistakes of myself and others that uh, 
So a lot of them, when we, when people go try to do things like, you know, there's some, you know, planting uh, soybeans on corn or some, or soybeans on sunflower stocks, I'll just say, no, wait a minute here, you know, and, you know, another thing about our rotation, I, I want to bring this up and I know I'm going to, is, uh, you know, in our area, we don't have, uh, sunflowers work very well. And uh, the one thing that everybody says, I had one producer say, well, I don't like sunflowers because they use all the deep nitrate and the deep moisture. Well, and I'll, my take on it is if you don't use it in our environment, what's going to use it? So it just goes after. That's where uh, that's a benefit. But every every crop we use, there's a benefit to. And, uh, and I really emphasize that and use it. The younger guys who haven't gone through those uh, hard knock times, uh, what can they learn from somebody who has? You, you know, the for one thing is is uh, go slowly, but move ahead. Try different things. Try to put, especially if you if you're not, try to put a cereal in your rotation. And always think about soil. Always think about your soil. Your soil is alive. And always always remember that. Uh, whatever you do, your soil is alive and, and you're taking care of it and, and you have to feed them. And, uh, you know, and the main goal is, is, is this day and age is to bring in carbon. And I, I think we really have to, anyway, we can bring in carbon and not only bring in carbon, but hold the carbon in our soil. And I think that's uh, that's something we really have to focus on. And and I, no matter what age, that's that's a message that has to be talked about. Thanks to Dan Forgy for today's conversation, and congratulations on your No-Till Innovator Award. The full transcript and a video for this episode are available at no-tillfarmer.com slash podcasts. Many thanks to Getter Farm Equipment for helping to make this No-Till podcast series possible. From all of us here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Michaela Pauchner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>